Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. And as always, I'm joined by former England fast bowler Steve Harbison for the usual busy show. We'll look ahead to England's upcoming test series against the West Indies, which will be live and exclusive right here on Talksport 2. And we'll hear from Captain Joe Root. As well as that, we get the latest from Antigua with the Press Association's Rory Dollard. And former England all-rounder Samit Patel joins us, fresh from winning the Pakistan Super League with the Lahore Calendars. But wait, there's more. England captain Heather Knight looks ahead to the start of the Women's World Cup and New Zealand and South Africa draw their two-match test series in Christchurch. So, plenty to get stuck into. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Well, uh, before we hear from uh, from you, Harmi, let's just go straight into Joe Root, uh, talking uh, for, on a very familiar subject since arriving in the Caribbean um, about the omission once again of Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson. I've spoken to both Stuart and to Jimmy, and you know, as as you mentioned, they're obviously disappointed, uh, angry, and they've, they've Stuart in particular has, has voiced that quite publicly, and you'd expect that, you know, they've. I've got a huge amount of respect for both of them, but it, at, at no point has been made very clear as well that no one's saying that this is the end for them. And you know, the guys that are on the tour have got a real opportunity to, to step into some slightly different roles, to take those opportunities, to grow themselves as players within this team and to strengthen what could be the backbone of this team moving forward. And you know, it'd be great to see Stuart and Jimmy yeah, very much in the mix at the start of the summer as well. That's Joe Root um, on uh, a now very familiar subject, which is not going to go away uh, as much as probably the England management and the, some of the players probably would like it to go away, Harmy. They'd like to start concentrating and focusing on themselves. But, you know, it's just a subject that is going to rumble on, isn't it? 
It is unfortunately, um, and you the you look at the the group and the group that Paul Collingwood and and Joe Root are going to have in the Caribbean, two sides which are in transition. In my opinion, I think the West Indies side probably is there for the taking more than any time that England have ever been to the Caribbean, and all the talk has been Broad and Anderson, and I've been very vocal. I don't think it's the right decision, but it's gone now. They're in Antigua. They're ready for the, the warm-up game. Um, and we have to look beyond that because no matter what anybody says, whether it goes good or bad or indifferent, there's no broader Anderson and the time is going to have to come eventually. Um, and I, I look at what's happened and how they've picked their group for the first for the warm-up game and all this looking at somebody else and giving somebody else a chance. I'd have been fine if they in the 12, both Mahmood and Fisher were in it. But unfortunately, the same groups that lost us the Ashes are going to be on a flat pitch in the Caribbean with uh, an oldish ball. And I think there's going to be a lot of, there's a lot of talk of Chris Wokes leading the attack after what he did in from 2015 onwards in the white ball game after Jimmy and Brody had gone from there. I think this is a, it's a different type of game for, for Chris Wokes to sort of go in and, and lead, the, lead the attack on that. I think there's a lot of onus now on Mark Wood to stand up in these three test matches because England are going to put a lot of pressure on them. There's going to be a lot of pressure on Mark Wood to get to the 2nd of June and the body body he's, got, he's going to be in between now and then is going to be an awful lot asked of him to then go again. So I, I think England have got to manage Mark Wood so delicately. It's going, to be, it's going to be interesting to see because the IPL aren't going to manage him. They've paid a lot of money for him. He's going to be flogged. And I mean flogged, it's, it's IPL, it's four overs. But he's going to be asked to bowl a lot of overs, intense overs in, in the IPL. You're going to need them for the three test matches here. And you know, we've, we unfortunately, you know the, the track record of Mark's body. So I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Mark Wood. Now, Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad's not there. In the past, Tommy, when captains have had decisions made about the composition of their team, they have not stopped, mostly, um, they have not stopped themselves from saying, well, you know, there's a selector and there's a selection committee and, and they distance themselves. Joe Root hasn't done that. Has he just been diplomatic or do you think he had a say in their remission? I think he's been diplomatic. I think this is, that's the, the argument and the problems that a lot of people see. And it's Mr. Nice Guy and Mr. Silverwood and Mr. Nice Guy and Mr. Root. And I think that dynamic wasn't really what was needed for the Red Bull cricket team that England have at this moment in time. So Joe's just being diplomatic. He's... A bit like Sir Alistair Cook, he's the perfect ECB man because he's the best player by a country mile. He's a perfect ECB man because he he doesn't want to rock boats. He's, he knows he's got to deal with people that's inside the, the system. Deep down, I'd love to know. I think we got we got an idea when he was leaving Australia that he said, I would like to have Broad and Anderson in the Caribbean. But obviously that's gone on deaf ears. New people are in charge. New selection panel were going and... And that hasn't happened. So whether Joe, can he come out and say anything different? I don't think he can. I think he's got to get on with the job in hand, which is to hopefully score runs. If Joe Root scores runs in the Caribbean, England have got a great chance of winning because I don't think the West Indies are very good at all. They're a good side in their own back garden, but I don't think they're a, they've got a side that they've picked. England should beat them. For me, they should beat them, even without Broad Anderson. Harmy, um, the, the thing the thing is, uh, both teams are statistically weak batting lineups. Um, the West Indies have only got Ankrumar Bonner, who uh, averages uh, 
over over 40. Everybody else averages closer to 30 in that batting lineup. So if uh, if the if the Anderson and Broadless attack do fill their boots and, and come back with lots of wickets and bowl the West Indies out cheaply, which I think is a chance of happening, will England really have learned very much? Yes, I think they will have learned that how the dynamic works without the two great bowlers, because eventually they're going to have to they're going to have to find out. I think it's so disrespectful to Stuart Broad to put him in the in the, the with the bracket of, of Jimmy Anderson as close to retirement age. You know, Stuart Broad's thirty five. 35, Jimmy Anderson. I know Jimmy's a one-off. You know, the level of wickets he got from 35 onwards was more than, I think, nearly anybody else's career or as much as anybody else's career. I think Stewart's still got a little bit more to give. Will it have learned too much? They will have because they'll learn to bowl 90 overs and try and take 20 wickets in a deer or in a, in a test match without having Broad or Anderson in the group. But like I said before, it goes back to the, to the, the Brisbane... Brisbane scenario again. England are going to go into the first test match against Antigua with the same attack that they went in from Brisbane. So from a learning point of view, the only way they can do that is by bowl better and get runs. If they get runs, I still think they've got a bowling attack, even without Ron Anderson, that can take 20 wickets on the Caribbean services to win. Now, what I would like to see is fact-finding mission that Sir Andrew Strauss and Paul Collingwood and James Taylor have built the two players that should have bowled been in the first in this warm-up game, they should have had a look at uh, Mahmoud and Fisher. Now they had a little like that look at Mahmoud in the T20s, and he didn't do very well on these surfaces. We should have been having a look at Fisher. We should be having a look at Overton, and we're saying right if we're going to try and find out what's going for the for the future and going forward, and how can we be better overseas? Then there's no point picking bowlers that haven't performed overseas for you. In, when it comes to result-winning matches, because these are the ones that went to Australia, and we didn't fancy Craig Overton. He didn't play in a in a in a series where we lost four 0 So, I think they're the, they're the questions I want asked and I want to learn when they come back on uh, on April the first. All right, Harley. Just before we move on to Joe Root's move to number three. Mark Wood said that uh, Broad and Anderson had texted the England bowlers and said that uh, they were available for. Um, well, just available. I, I suspect that um, the idea was not for Mark Wood to make that knowledge public. And I, I don't really have a problem with it, although there are some, possibly including you, that say that it's not their place to be texting the bowlers offering advice. Not really. I'm like, well, if they're on a fact-finding mission trying to find out what they can do without Broad and Anderson, there's no point when the troubles, times are in trouble. They'll go back to Broad and Anderson. Because if that's what they're going to do, or if that's what they're trying to say, then Braun Anderson should be there in the first place. So it goes back to the whole conversation we've been having for the last month and a bit since the, 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 the tour's been picked. So it's a lot of pressure for me on, on Mark Wood. Um, we've now got to look away from the fact that Braun Anderson aren't there. Um, and we've got to find out if the new bowlers that's in the group, and I put Craig Overton in this because we've never seen him for a, a, quite a while, some, for these test matches, these three test matches, Overton, Mahmood and Fisher, we've got to find out if they can play cricket for England or not because we are eventually going to have to say it off. Broad and Anderson are eventually going to have to say that enough's enough. I'm, uh, I'm finished. I'm retired. I'm gone. And that's what England have to find in this, on this three test match series. And if they keep picking um, Wokes, Robinson, Wood and Leach like they did in Brisbane, then, yeah, what are we, what are we learning? All right, let's uh, remind ourselves about what Joe Root said about, about his decision 
desire even to move up to number three. I'm ready for that now. You know, I've, I've expressed in the past that, you know, I prefer batting at number four, but I'm ready to take that on now. And I feel like I'm very comfortable in the way that I've been playing and performing over the last year or so. And I, I think it's the right fit for this team. You know, I think that I'm the person to, to go and bat slightly higher up. And if we do lose an early wicket, you know, support those, support those two openers, show a bit of leadership responsibility, take that on, take the games on. And, you know, hopefully lay a bit of a, a platform for us to, to bat around. And I'm relishing that challenge. You know, I'm really looking forward to it. In the past, I've probably looked at it in a slightly different way and it's not really fitted me, but I'm a lot more comfortable with that now and at ease with that. And um, as I say, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That was Joe Root explaining his move up to, to number three. It, it is a um, sense of irony in many ways because uh, Root was... Was was pressured into into batting at number three on a couple of occasions since even before he became captain, and now that he's had this record breaking year at number four, he's finally decided that he does want to to move up the order. Is it purely to solve the number three problem? Is it his desire to try and do all he can personally to prevent the twenty for two syndrome? Uh, yes, I think that is one part of it. The second part of it would be to get another batsman, a young England batsman, into that middle order. Possibly, they think number four is the best position for that young young English batsman. I thought that would have been Pope, but they've gone with Lawrence. So Lawrence to go and bat at number four. I think it was a. I think the feel is uh, whoever they've got the next cab off the rank batting wise can't bat at number three. So unfortunately, Joe has to go to number three, and now he goes up to three. The pressure that's on him now um, with his leadership, one win from 14, teams under pressure. You left your two you know, great bowlers and confidants behind, as well as Butler. If, if things don't go well for Joe Root at number three, where does he, where does he turn to next? And that, for me, is the, the, the thing that question marks this, this decision because the two things that were working were Broad or Anderson or both playing and Root at four. I can see why it's happened. I just don't understand why it's happened now. You, as a career number 10, might not be the perfect man to answer the question, but if you are the captain, would you rather walk in at 10 for one or 20 for two? I don't think it really matters whether it's 10 for one or 20 for two because of it's who's going in. If he goes in, if he feels as though going in at 10 for one, the ball is still in a position where that could knock him over. If it's 20 for two and he is, and we are now 20 for two consistently and he's one of the two, then it's not the right decision. If it's tw if he goes in at 20 for two and the ball, you know, there's another four or five overs gone or six or seven overs gone, it's a little bit easier for him to get him in and get him going, then it doesn't really matter 10 for one, 20 for two for me. It really doesn't. It's about how he comes through that initial period. If that period's going to be harder at 10 for two, England don't get 150. We just it just tells you our middle order just doesn't get 150 to, to 200, and that's that's not being facetious or anything like that. That's me being re realistic. That in the last 18 months of cricket, when we play and we Joe Root doesn't get any runs, England cricket team doesn't score 200. You can have Broad Anderson in their prime, and we still wouldn't win games. Joseph in once again, and that's edge to second slip. Jason Holder takes the catch. 
and England have been bowled out for 77. I know that we need to turn things around and we need to start putting in performances. Here is Wood. Look at I want to see England win. Of course I do. Now, I'm as big a fan as any other, anyone out there sat there watching. Yeah, I'm just very fortunate to be in a position to affect the games. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison as we continue to look ahead to England's three-match uh, test series against the West Indies, which starts next Tuesday. Every ball live and exclusive here on TalkSport 2, as promised. We're joined live from Antigua now by the Press Association's Rory Dollard, who um, is covering England's one and only warm-up match against uh, a President's eleven. Rory, I have so many questions to ask you. What did you make of the composition of of uh, of the team that was named, and and does that is that a fair reflection of what you expect England to field in the first Test? Hi, Manners. Uh, hi, Harmy. Yeah. I suppose with one warm-up match, you would have to expect that if you name a 12, you're looking to take 11 from that 12 and, and take it into the test match. In terms of the sort of composition of that team, it kind of is at odds a bit, isn't it? With the, the messaging and the, the chat about, I suppose, removing Broad and Anderson out of the equation to empower the likes of Matt Fisher and Saki Mahmood and maybe let them spread their wings a little bit. The, the decision to bring Matt Parkinson into the fray. Well, all those three guys are going to be shuttling drinks the next three or four days. So it does seem, I suppose, I suppose it seems a bit conservative from a selection panel that's just thrown away best part of 1,200 test wickets. You mentioned about the, the, uh, the selection panel. How would, how's the media looking at this from that point of view? Is it giving them a free hit because it's an interim selection panel? But they made some big, bold calls. And then looks like they're going to go back to the first test match, which the old selection panel picked out in Brisbane. If this goes wrong, where do you lay the blame? Because uh, is it Strauss? Is it Collingwood? Does it harm Collingwood's chances of getting the coaching job? Well, yeah, I, I don't think it's a free hit because I think when you've got a test record like England have got, the free hits are long gone. You know, it's about it's about getting results on the board at every time they get onto the pitch at this stage. Where does the blame lie? Well, I suppose somebody needs to, when we get to the test match, to the first test at the uh, Sir Vivian Richards Stadium, someone needs to own, own this team and own this selection. And whether that's Joel Root, I think it probably has to be, because if we look at the people who are in positions of power, Strauss has made a big, a big impact, I suppose. Paul Collingwood's here, but both of those guys have the word interim next to their job title. As far as Joel Root is concerned, he is the test captain ongoing for as long as he can keep on to it. So while those guys have a big voice and a big say, presumably, Joel Root's the guy whose who's record is up for grabs and whose future is, is really under discussion. So I would like to think that the 11 he puts out on the pitch carries his fingerprints. And the surface is going to play on. We're looking at Leach is going to have to play. So, you know, England aren't going to go in with four seamers. They're going to go in with a, with a spin bowler. Decided not to go in with Parkinson after leaving... I basically saying about best that the West Indies play off spin very, very well. And then they want the ball to go away from the bat of a right hander naturally. Again, you're looking at the decision not to play a Fisher, a Mahmood, or a, a Parkinson in this warm-up game. It's like who it's not so much who makes that decision, but how that decision's been made. And it probably does fall down to Joe Root because the interim that you said, but 
looking at the wickets that we are, you, you're talking to the, the, the media in the Caribbean, what are we expecting the wickets? Are we going to be expecting wickets that are going to turn? Because that's what you know the slowness have been in recent past. Well, I think Antigua is the likeliest. That's the impression we get is that Antigua is the likeliest to, to take spin. You know, beyond that, I do think the Cricket West Indies, if you look to the last time England were here, and if you hear Johnny Grave, the CEO of Cricket West Indies, they have tried to put a bit of pace back in. And, and I think it did... I think it did happen to some extent last time. The ball came through a bit quicker. Mark Wood, of course, you'll, you'll remember, Harmy. Mark mm. Wood was uh, making it sing in St. Lucia. Lucia. So there is a bit of more pace, but, you know, this first test does look like the one that might take a bit of turn, but I don't know whether England feel confident to win a game with spin. It's been a long time since I remember that being the case. Rory, um, I wanted to ask you about Ben Folks as well. You'll have all the numbers, I know, um, on the tip of your tongue about his first-class batting average and and just this kind of weird perception that, you know, that he, he hasn't played more than eight test matches and he's 29 years old um, because he's, a, he's not a very good batsman. So I wanted to ask you about that, but I also want you to give us a... A description of life in in Antigua. What are you in a bubble? Are the England players in a bubble? Is it restricted, or is the West Indies fairly, or is Antigua fairly COVID clear? Sure. Let me let me start with Ben Fox. I'd be a big advocate of Ben Fox. Uh, I think in a team in a team that's lacking world class specialists, he fits that bill. In the job that he has chosen, in the niche that he has carved out for himself, he is an elite cricketer as a wicketkeeper. And I, I I don't really buy into the idea that he's not not a good batsman. I, I think the record he's got, if you look over the last five years of specialist batters who've been tried in this England team, I think he stacks up top one or two, to be honest. And if his, he was first dropped after five tests, I think, um, after that uh, man of the series performance in Sri Lanka, I think if someone like Ollie Pope had sat with that record after five tests, he would have been having two years inked into the team without a question being raised against him. So, Ben Fawkes is a pretty resourceful cricketer, I think. And if we look, he was he sort of made an accidental uh, one-day debut in Ireland because of various teams needing to be shuffled around. He sort of was accidentally handed an ODI debut, bailed him out of the hall, was man of the match with the bat. Pretty pretty decent cricketer. I think, I think he <laughs> has earned a bit of a run. In terms of Antigua, I've only been here just 24 hours, really, but certainly the impression I get is that having just got hold of tourism again after two years, which is the main main industry on this island you know having just got hold of it again they're pretty keen to keep hold of it and that if that means a little bit of carefulness and a little bit of um, mask police I think we'll be getting a bit of that over the next few weeks equally there's 365 beaches on this island I reckon you can find one where you can take it off and enjoy yourself I don't think that'll be too much trouble for the England guys they're going to be pretty pretty restricted I think uh, in in sort of in terms of where they're allowed to go I don't expect them to be out in the towns, uh, posing for selfies with the Barmy Army, but you know the results that they've got on hand, pretty decent. I reckon. I reckon they'll all be pretty happy to be here. Yeah, I can't wait for that one of them three hundred and sixty-five beaches to get on. But unfortunately, I think I'm going to be in one of them bubbles as well. When I get there, Rory, I just want to pick you up a little bit on the the folks. I'm not going to play devil's advocate because I believe this, and I'm not having to go at Ben Folks whatsoever. But you talk about Ollie Pope, talk about batsman thinking what a fantastic batsman he is. He can be. You know, he's played 21 test matches now, so his results don't, don't match that. But I think, I think there's, there's something in there. We talk about where you keep a batsman. We've just had a batsman just get 100 and wants to keep wicket in the ashes. And that is Johnny Bairstow. Johnny Bairstow's problems came when 
Joss Butler took over the clubs just short of the West Indies land. The last time we were there, he was averaging 40. In my eyes, in my hat, I think Johnny Bairstow should keep wicket back number seven and Ollie Pope would be in the side because I believe Ollie Pope's a better batsman than, than Ben Folks. But I get that Ben Folks is sometimes have a hard, harsh deal. So is that is that a valid argument from, from my side saying, well, I think Bairstow should be seven, Hope should be five and Stoke should be six because that, for me, gets better batters in the side. That doesn't sound like a, a cranky point of view at all. There's, there's plenty of logic to be had with that. It, it does feel slightly bizarre that we're in 2022 having the Bearstow debate because it feels like we've been having that for most of my professional career in this job. I feel like we've been discussing Johnny, gloves, no gloves, three, five, seven. It's kind of a take your pick on that one. But yeah, you know, that, that's, that'll be a fair way to, to stack up this eleven. I think long-term, if they could get several years out of Ben Fawkes, I'd be happy with that. And, and whether Johnny has got that many years in terms of a full cycle, a four or five-year cycle, I don't know. But I'd be looking to get players who are really confident in that role. And, and Johnny did score that 100 as a batter, not a, not a keeper. So, you know, I'd be tempted to, to look at it that way. It sounds like we spoke to Ben Fawkes the other day on, on arrival in, in Antigua. It sounds like he thinks he's playing. Uh, he, he sort of said it's nice to get a nice to come into a tour knowing you're number one. So it sounds like we're heading down that road, but who I mean, there's, there's four days of cricket, and as an England fan, four days of cricket is a marathon, isn't it? <laughs> it is the way we bat. <laughs> well, that's sometimes a sprint. <laughs> Rory, enjoy Antigua and enjoy Barbados and um, and Grenada as well. It's a it's a fabulous fabulous tour. I said that I thought it might be low scoring. Just very quickly, do you, do you concur with that? Well, I think the bowlers are better than the batters across the board, so that it's, that's pointing in one direction. What I do think is that that, that means that a match-winning innings could be on the short side. You know, England, if it's England who win a test match, they could be looking at an, at an Alex Lease or a Dan Lawrence or someone like that winning the game with a really hard 80. Or, you know, or, or a century could be... A century could be real gold dust in this series, the way it's stacking up. So they have to maybe get that into their minds that that batting, I know we've talked a lot about batting long with England and that being something they haven't done too much, but winning the match might not be digging in for five sessions in this series. It might be it might be getting the only 85 of the match. Good point. Thank you very much indeed, Rory. Cricket correspondent with the Press Association. And hopefully we'll uh, catch up with you again during the, during the series. Thank you. Thanks. That was Rory Dullard, cricket correspondent for the Press Association. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the great man, Steve Harmison. A reminder that you can hear live, exclusive, ball-by-ball commentary of England's upcoming Test Series against the West Indies right here on TalkSport 2. Next up, we'll look back at uh, the PSL final and we'll speak live to uh, the Lahore Calendars All-Rounders Summit Patel, fresh from lifting the trophy. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show, as always, or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm delighted to say, as promised in the introduction, we are joined live by Lahore Calendars, all-rounder Summit Patel. Uh, well, victory, another trophy well, not in your cabinet, but uh, you've you collected a few in your career, beating the Multan Sultans by 42 runs. We can ask you all about the PSL um, and, you know, the success of, of the tournament, Simon. But, but first of all, um, I've got to ask you, you bowled two overs for seven. Two overs, no maidens, none for seven. And didn't, weren't required again in the final. <laughs> What's going on there? Well... I think it was it was a great tactical move to be honest. We had we had a left-hander who just came in and was pretty good against left-arm spin, and I think the, the matchup was probably me. Even though I wanted to bowl the over, I think it was, tactically it was right not to bowl it against Kushdil. And we we thought that a, a seam bowler would be better, and, and Harry Sir Alfred only bowled one over up to date, so it was a right move to be honest. And how was the PSL, Sam? Yeah, you're you're always going to say it was great because we won it, but. You know, we talk about you know, the security, the, the way the, the tournament was run. It looked very, very good and very, very controlled from afar from the TV point of view. Some excellent cricket played, but from an individual who was in it and involved in it, how did it go from your point of view? Um, to be honest, from the moment we landed, as I can speak only for myself and probably on behalf of all the other overseas, that 
we, we felt really, really safe. Um, and I know security has always been a question in Pakistan, but the moment you get picked up from the airport, you see the entourage, the, the security that we get was, was second to none, to be honest, Tommy. Yeah, you felt really, really comfortable, very hospitable. Yeah, it was, it was really comfortable, to be honest. And obviously the cricket spoke for itself, um, a, great, a great standard of cricket, some of the best players in the world that go and play there. So, yeah, it was really, really good, mate, to be honest. And one of your players, one of your players, teammates, Young Brook, I think I've said I thought he's a special talent, but he proved in, in that tournament, you know, he just seems to be getting better and better. Absolutely. I've not seen really that much of Harry Brook, but I tell you what, he's, he's pretty special. Um, you can see why he's in, in, in the ODI squads and the T20 squads. He hits the ball 360. He's, he's very, very, he's all, he's all risks. Um, he knows all his, all his shots. He plays them away really, really well. Um, and he's not scared. He's a youngster that's not frightened to take people on. And I think that's the way cricket's going at the minute. Can I just ask you about Australia's tour to uh, to Pakistan? Um, there's obviously it's the first time they've been there for 24 years. There's a huge amount of, of interest um, and, a, and a very bright, fiercely shone spotlight, I suppose, in in many ways. Do you feel, I mean, I've also, I think, I think we've all of us at some point been in a, you know, one of those blue light convoys um, from, from hotel to ground. Do you, so in some ways, I, I wonder whether it might be safer to, uh, to to do the journey in a sort of beaten up old Corolla, you know, which uh, looks like every other car on the street. Do you feel that the, that there's a, a tension is, you know, that was really focused on you during the PSL? Not at all, to be honest. That, look, you've got you've got fanatic fans that, that want to see their homeboys play in their home country. And I think that that's no different to, to the guys that are here that want to see Joe Rubat. Um, and I think that, Cricket in Pakistan should go back. And obviously, only if the security is right. And to be honest, they've, they've delivered everything that they've promised. So that you, you couldn't have felt any safer, to be honest. And I'm sure Australia will have a great test series out there. They're a good team, Pakistan, in Pakistan. Um, they've got some good pace, like Harris Rao, Shine Shah Afridi. Um, Nassim Shah has also been included in the squad now. So look, if they get the pitches right, they, it, might, it might be a good test series. There's a lot of England players in domestic T20 leagues around the world, and they seem to be more and more in demand. You know, you mentioned Harry Brook, but there's, I, I counted about 21, you know, include Bangladesh and the Bangladesh Premier League and, uh, and a few in the IPL as well. As, as a brand, I suppose, are England players much in demand? you getting that sense? Absolutely. I, I don't see why not. Look, we've won the 50-ever World Cup. We've come close in T20 World Cup, so... We're playing a good brand of cricket and I think we're playing fearless cricket. And some of the names, like Will Smead, um, had a fantastic PSL for Quetta. To, to be unknown and got out there and played in one of the best leagues in the world, I think it's fantastic. And the way that he's played, fearless cricket, took the bowlers on, and, and it's great for English cricket, to be honest. Joe Clark, another one, who obviously I see at Knotts, but is also getting the recognition now of hopefully he's back in England colours pretty soon. He's been involved, he's a reserve for the Test squad. No, it's it's only going to get better for English cricket so to see guys play around the world and, and get the exposure. And two bowlers I want to mention. Uh, one you know very, very well. One that you've just played with. How is Ralph? If he's fit and firing, he comes to Yorkshire. What is he going to give Yorkshire? Um, and somebody who's been around Stuart Broad for a, quite a while. You can talk about his omission from the England side, but what are you expecting Stuart Broad to come for the start with Knotts at the start of the season? Because he normally comes... And gets lots of wickets, getting himself ready. But when he's got a point to prove, he's a different animal altogether. 
well, Brody, as, as you know as well, Harmy, that Brody with a point to prove, as you've just said, it's very hard to, to write off a bloke that's got nearly, has got so many wickets for England. Um, and the way he's got treated, I think it's pretty bad. The bloke's obviously one of England's finest bowlers ever. It's pretty tough on the bloke, to be honest. And I'm sure that he'll come and do his stuff when he when he always does play for knots. Um, he'll take a lot lots of wickets and and do the right and do it the right way. And so be it. I'm sure his passion for cricket will not stop, especially t- to play for England, but also to play for knots. Look, it's going to be an exciting summer. I think that the way England are going at the minute in Test cricket, it's very hard to leave Stuart Broad out, in my opinion. And the way they've done it is is pretty bad. I personally don't believe in it or well, agree with it, but that's just the way the selectors have gone and. And that's just that's just the decision. But yeah, I think it's going to be a, a crucial summer for Stuart and, and James. Um, but also going back on Harris Ralph, he's got gas. I mean, like, I know you like pace, but he's got proper pace. Like, I'm sure some of the Div One lineups are not going to be wanting to face him. He's got he's got the X factor. I think he surprises a lot of people by his skiddiness, and he's not shy of a bouncer. Um, the, the all fast bowlers love bouncers. But he's, he's one that probably Yorkshire will, will go down the enforcer route with. He won't be used to county cricket. He won't be used to seven back-to-back matches. And I'm sure that if Yorkshire use him right, he'll be he'll be definitely an X-factor. So, I mean, can I just ask you a question about uh, going back to my very first question when you didn't bowl your third over. T20 cricket, when it started, was very spontaneous, very instinctive, very quick, and not a great deal of thought went into it, I don't think. And, and one of the burgeoning industries in, in cricket is statistics, player analysis, matchups. It's become more science than art. And my question to you is, does it feel like that sometimes on the field? Sometimes it does, because then your actual natural game awareness kind of gets questioned because you see a left-hander and the captain automatically thinks that you can't bowl a left-arm spinner, <laughs> um, which I don't really agree with, to be honest. But sometimes you've got to bite the bullet and say, Hopefully it pays off because I know, I know as a spinner that if you're bowling well, you want to bowl. But sometimes you've got to do it for the team. And I think that, yeah, matchups do, they're important. And I think that momentum in T20 cricket is is key. And I think you've got to try and have it for as long as possible. And, and if you do bowl the wrong bowl at the wrong time, you kind of just think the pattern of the way the game's going, you lose it. Um, and I think it's important to keep it. And what's next for Summit? You know, you got come back as a, as a winner. You go up nuts. When you start again and, you know, where's the, the sort of the next time we're going to see Sam Patel performing with a shirt on? Well, hopefully it'll be straight into the to T20 blast time. It's, it's, it's at the earlier part of the year, so it's a bit of a block. And then hopefully we can go on and win that. We're not. And then try and lift the 100 trophy as well. So maybe I'm looking forward to that. How many winners medals do you have? Oh, I don't know, Neil. I think well, I'd be guessing. <laughs> I, I have know. no idea. You know, Samit, you know how many <laughs> no. medals you've got, I tell you. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I'm guessing around 10, I reckon. I thought it was that many. Samit, well done. Well done on your latest one. Congratulations. Um, and uh, thank you very much indeed for your time. And enjoy some time off now. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Time to look ahead to the Women's World Cup, which starts this week in New Zealand. England facing Australia in their first game of uh, the tournament. That's just a couple of weeks, of course, after losing 3-0 to them in the ODI leg of uh, the Women's Ashes. Harmi, the, 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 the news story of the week was that the ICC said that uh, any game in the tournament can still go ahead as long as a team has nine fit and available players. That's in the event obviously, of, uh, of, of COVID-positive tests. It's extraordinary. Uh, I don't know. I just I still don't know what to make of it. I've been trying to 
process it for the last week. Yeah, it's just a weird one, isn't it? And how do they work out with nine fit players? Is somebody over there, two bowlers are let about 15 overs, and you know, you can have so many inside the circle, or it's a bit farcical, especially when a lot of question marks go on on sort of the women's game, women's sport, you know, does come up a lot of in sort of topics of conversation and the you know, parallels with sort of men's sport and anything like that. But women's sports on the up and up, women's football is getting better and better. Women's cricket for me is now, it's as good as it's ever been. And it's, and it's, I think it's fast forwarding at a faster rate than the men's game. So having a, this, is it making it sort of comical? Is it, you know, is it giving putting fuel on people's fire to sort of downgrade women's sport? You're, you're I, just, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I don't know what to make of this. I don't know whether to laugh at it, to joke about it, to uh, to sort of criticise it. I really don't. But I think one thing, it's I don't think it's positive in a in a, in a game which at the minute I think women's sport is on the is on the up and up and. I just think it's something that the women, women's, the women's cricket doesn't need. Uh, somebody making jokes of it. So hopefully it never really, I hope it just doesn't happen. You can't help wondering whether or feeling actually that it's a little bit patronising. And if you yeah. question that, ask yourself what the reaction would have been if that rule was being introduced into uh, the, the Men's World Cup. Anyway, this is what Heather Knight had to say about it. Uh, well, it's created a few comical jokes among the staff, that's for sure, especially the female staff. We've been ranking them in order. Um, we've got the doctor and the manager down for a net tomorrow. So, um, yeah, we're going to run them off against each other to, to see what ranking they're in. So, yeah, mainly humour. I think, obviously, it's if something goes badly wrong with COVID. Uh, it's not a ideal situation, but it's obviously been picked up in the, in the playing conditions. Um, hopefully, it, it never happens um but you never know and obviously people are desperate to get the tournament on and with the the rules around close contract contacts etc there might be a scenario where it does happen um it's probably unlikely it's going to be a covid free world cup although obviously that's the hope and i guess it's in place if, if something does go wrong and hopefully it doesn't that's england captain heather knight um putting a a light spin on on the situation anyway so it's <laughs> just gonna see you here amongst the coaching staff might be able to fill in if there are COVID positive tests, but um, you know, the the with the with the ten day managed isolation and quarantine rule in in New Zealand, let's hope that uh, there aren't any problems. Staying in New Zealand, South Africa produced one of the all time comebacks. That was they suffered their second heaviest defeat ever in the in the first of the the two men's test matches, losing by an innings and two hundred and seventy six runs. I reckon that's the football equivalent of losing 10-0 and they bounced back to win the second test five days later by 198 runs which is absolutely astonishing really and I, I stand very firmly by what I said uh, before the first test was that the preparation was as bad as any men's test team could possibly have had before that first test match they, they, they were in um, solitary confinement when they arrived in New Zealand for the first four days. So how do you fast forward the process of, uh, of recovering from jet lag? 11 hour time difference. They had basically three days of nets before the first test match and they got duly walloped. Amazing, amazing comeback. See them bounce back. I, I couldn't see it coming. Yeah, that's a pint you owe me because uh, we had, <laughs> yeah, I think I owed you two from that first one. So we might get one and a half back, but that was, I watched, watched some of it um, during the night. They're both beautifully. 
I thought they bowled beautifully. Rabada bowled fantastic throughout the Test match. So did Janssen. They're going to give England a, a challenge when they come to to the UK in you know what eight months' time, seven six months' time. They're going to be a good side, South Africa. Um, just hopefully they don't get derailed too much by the Mark Boucher stuff. That well, obviously due come out in well, before the end of May, June, or start of June time. So it'll be interesting to see what and how the dynamic of the of the group that comes over to England. But they've got a side, I think, that will will compete. But it just seems, man, as that every team around the world now can't win away from home in the first Test match because of when they go into the country, how they go into the country, um, and the the complete shambolic way that preparation seems to go before test matches, you're, you're arguably going in while nailed down, just as you you, know, you get yourself going again. All right, this was Kahiso Rabada speaking after that uh, series-levelling test win. It means a lot uh, that we didn't uh, come to New Zealand and lose the test series. Uh, we would have liked to win the series, but... Uh, we can give ourselves credit for, for 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 bouncing back, so it does it does mean a lot. Every test every test match uh, a series uh, or test match win means a lot. South African bowler uh, Kahiso Rabada, you mentioned how well they bowled at South Africa. Um, I tell you what, there is a few coaches, county coaches, who would do well if they haven't seen him already to have a look at twenty one year old Lutos Zapamla. Think he could be really useful in 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 English conditions. Um, another feel-good story was a South African opener, Sardo Olivier, in just his second Test match. He didn't get his... He didn't crack a regular place in a first-class squad. He played amateur cricket till he was 27. He didn't get a, a crack in a first-class squad till he was, till he was 28. Um, he's now 32, makes his Test debut like everybody else, was half asleep in the first game. And then and then scores 100 in the second. So this is what he had to say. It's a very special day. Um, you know, I, I must say probably 24 months ago, I probably didn't think I'd be in, in, in a position to be even close to a South African test squad. So, you know, to sit here today with a, a test 100 behind your name is extremely special. Um, I think it's more special having gone through all the, the hard yards over the years and you're know, taking learnings uh, along those years and you know implementing them you know with the squad over the last year so just like you said i know team comes first um i'm very very happy you know we can turn things around uh, after the first test i tell you what uh, Sardo Levia, the south african opener speaks very very movingly as well about about mental health and uh, and how he wanted to give up the game um he he was he suffered quite strongly from depression. I mean, he was driven by this massive motivation and dream to play first-class cricket. I mean, you know, never mind play internationally. And season after season, he played in front of a couple of dogs because the men had gone home um, for years and years and years. Um, and he just didn't want to give up on the dream, but it was, it was chewing him up. Um, so just a fabulous story to see him actually come good. It is, and he, his celebration was as of somebody who had achieved the summit of, of where he was going. Um, and it's always interesting, you, you mentioned, man, as he's, his pathway through to not only test cricket, but to score in a test century, 32-year-old. A lot of players have took a different route to that place, not so much the test century, but you can think the likes of, well, Dean Conway did. He went, they've, they've, gone, down a, they've gone down a route of, 
the coal pack are going to a different country. You have a Benningham going into to England, you know, not far away from me at the moment in Durham. So there's quite a lot of players got to 25, 26 in South Africa, realising that the door might be closed on them and have thought, well, my home is now somewhere else. So fair play to the kid. He's gone and he's stuck at it, got himself a chance of a first-class contract. And now he's got a Test Match 100 for his homeland in South Africa. So it was brilliant to see. Actually, what well, I... I couldn't see it a couple of months ago, but I really am very, very excited about uh, about South Africa's tour and the three test matches against England later on this summer. It's a long way off and an awful lot can change. Uh, they're not till August and, uh, and September. But I have a feeling that a very good New Zealand team might just have softened England up a little bit in the couple of tests before South Africa get hold of them. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fascinating summer for English cricket, not just because of decisions they're going to have to make before the 2nd of June, but what sort of what sort of lineup and players and team will they have on the 2nd of June? Will they have Braun Anderson? Would Mark Wood's body packed up after a brutal World Cup and three test matches in the Caribbean? Can they get their batters into form and into some you know, run scoring ready for what is always you know, a very, very difficult summer when there's packed houses all around the country and the sun's shining. What mental state would England be in when they get there? That's going to be a huge test, never mind being against New Zealand, who are a phenomenal unit, who am I underwear. And then South Africa look as though they're coming into a little bit of form. So it is, it could be, it could be a long nine months for the England cricket team. Hopefully it doesn't, it starts well in the Caribbean because they needed to. All right, Harmi, um, I'll explain why I'm asking you this question in a moment. Have you ever bungee jumped? A bungee jumped? No. I couldn't think of anything worse. Yeah. <laughs> if I was made, honestly, man, if I was put on this earth to fly, I'd be born with wings. There's nowhere in the, in the world I am, I'm going off my feet. Nowhere. The, the highest thing I've got is when I was in my bowling action. There's just nowhere. I'm just not interested in coming out of aeroplanes or going, jumping off bridges with ropes around me. The, the reason I ask is because if you if you sit alongside one of those bungee jumping platforms, you'll see people hobbling along or getting strapped up, first of all, and then hobbling towards the end of the platform saying, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And then they finally get to the end and they go, I can't do this. And they turn <laughs> and they hobble back. And it, it just occurred to me that Jason Roy, because a lot of people have said, you know what? Jason Roy knows that the IPL is going to be played in the bubble. Why did he go into the auction? Why did he? But I think he's going, I can do this. I can do this. Yeah. It's another bubble. I can do this. I can do it. I can do it. And then something snapped, uh, you know, and he's just got, hey, you know what? I can't. I know, what it, I know what that feels like, man. I know what it feels like. I used to feel like every single time I used to go on tour. I hated going on tour. Not so much hated going on tour, but then first few days of actually going away was the hardest part, especially with having a young family. And Jason's just, he's just been a father again. I don't blame the kid whatsoever. Um, these bubbles are horrendous. There are, and, you, and I fully understand why the IPL's got these bubbles because of the amount of money that's involved with the IPL. But I'm never, I'm never ever going to criticise anybody for not wanting to go into a bubble or pulling out of a, a trip because... You know, mentally the feel as though they can't do it. I hope Jason's all right. I really do. I really hope he's all right. Um, and if it's the best thing for him, he's not going to play for Surrey at the start of the season. He's not going to play in the IPL. He's done a lot of, he's played a lot of cricket in recent past. He deserves to go and be a father for the foreseeable future for the next sort of three or four months. And hopefully when the summer comes around, 
we'll get Jason Roy back firing for England um, and it'll be great for, for everybody and more importantly for Jason himself. Just in case anybody missed the story, Jason Roy was signed. And if you look at the composition of their squad, he was like a certain starter. He was signed yeah. by the Gujarat Lions. And there were some eyebrows raised that he only went for £200,000. But, um, you know, I, I don't think there's anything cynical in that. I, I really don't. I, I mean, he spent a lot of time in domestic as well as international bubbles. And uh, as, as you said, uh, I think he's just gone, yeah, yeah, well, I'm really sorry. I just can't do it. And moving on to Sri Lanka getting well and truly and soundly beaten by India in their three-match T20 series. Interesting that um, Raul Dravid has made some bold calls and Shri Asaya made 50 in each of those three games. And he said, it was after the second one or maybe it was after the third one, we, we played the T20 game internationally in the same way, whereas we tried not to lose wickets for the ter- first 10 overs and then just slog in the, in the second 10 overs. And he said, we are such a talented squad that we've just been told to go out there and smash it from the start. <laughs> and they have. <laughs> well, they are a talented squad, right? They are a talented squad. They're Like England, they've got a wealth of talent from a white ball perspective. It's ridiculous what India could potentially pick or not pick. Um, and again, they looked a little bit like the West Indies. I thought the West Indies series is a lot closer than, than what the, the, the Sri Lankan series was. Um, but even then, I think they had gears to go through. I thought they never got out of third gear against the West Indies, didn't get a second gear against Sri Lanka. And it's quite ominous for the teams around the world that you know, on good pitches of Australia, India look as though they've got a pool of 15, 16 players who anyone that want to pick will give will will sort of give everybody a, 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 a good game around the world. So I like Sirishaya. I think he's a captain in the waiting for for India. I really do. I think he's got leadership qualities. We've seen that where was it Delhi last year or the year before in the in the, the IPL. So I think the boys got a bit of talent, probably just waiting for Robert Sharma just to get them through the next period of time to get Sirisaya into a position of strength where he is dominant in world cricket across the formats. And it wouldn't surprise me if he's the next India captain. Well, he's just been made uh, Kolkata Knight Riders captain. So uh, you could be onto something there. And finally, Harmi, the start and finish dates of uh, the IPL have been announced. 26th of March to uh, the end of May, just over two months. I was going to ask you whether that's too long, but what's the point? What is the point? Yeah, what is the point? They're alone to themselves. Um, I'm just surprised it actually finishes in May. Unless they have a, <laughs> they might might add a couple of teams and they'll go. But joking aside, it's a fantastic tournament. It is where every single player wants to play because of obviously the contracts that's on offer. It's only going to get better. I'm pleased to see that the England players that are in it, They've got sides where it looks as though they're going to play. You mentioned it's a good point about Jason Roy. He was, he's going to play for Gujarat if he had went. A lot of the players from the UK are actually going to teams that they're actually going to play in when it comes to the, the, the first 11, which is going to be an even better spectacle for, for the viewers over here. Um, and it's finishing just in time for the first test match starting in the summer. So I think all in all, the ECB will breathe a sigh of relief that their players might you know, only miss one or two uh, of the first round of matches, but hopefully we'll be back for the, even if they get to the final, they'll be back for the um, for the first test match, which I think will be a huge relief for everybody at the ECB Towers. 
Fantastic. Thanks, Tommy. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winning Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can, as always, download the podcast from the following on feed, which is now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week for a full preview of England's tour of the West Indies, which is live and exclusive, don't forget, right here on TalkSport 2. This has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, thanks for downloading the Cricket Collective as part of the following on feed. If you ever have any ideas for guests or or maybe a question or two for Steve Harmison or Neil Manthorpe, you can, of course, get in contact at cricket underscore TS. Get your questions in and the guys will uh, answer the questions every Tuesday on the Cricket Collective. Also, uh, if you got this far, please leave us a review. Nice one, if possible. Uh, And uh, subscribe as well. And uh, if you are already a subscriber, then feel free to tell your mates. And if you want more content uh, from the likes of Steve Harmison, then uh, check out his YouTube channel. Uh, Just type in Steve Harmison in YouTube and you'll see uh, a whole host of uh, fresh content, big interviews, uh, reaction, team and series preview and reviews, uh, the whole lot there. So uh, if you got this far, thanks again for listening to The Cricket Collective and uh, we'll see you again soon. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 